On May 30th, Israeli soldiers gunned down a 31-year-old Palestinian man from Jerusalem named Iyad Hallak. Iyad's killing prompted a great deal of local and international attention, unlike Israel's killing of other Palestinian men. The reason? Iyad was autistic, and his killing highlighted, perhaps for some for the first time, what it means to be caught in the crossfire of the Israeli system, where soldiers are given shoot-to-kill orders, where Palestinians are automatically presumed guilty, and where Israelis presume that all Palestinians, and in particular Palestinian men, are able-bodied targets. Two weeks after his killing, after the journalists and thousands of mourners had left, a group of us went to visit the Halak family to pay our condolences. We found a family broken and suffering from Iyad's absence. We learned more about who Iyad was, how he lived, and ultimately how he was killed. This podcast will relate a violent incident. Discretion is advised. Rana Halak, Iyad's mother, is a frail woman. You can see the toll that Iyad's murder has taken on her. She hasn't slept, her hands are shaking, and she tells me that she has a hard time processing everything that has happened. Throughout our meeting, sometimes she speaks of Iyad in the present tense, and sometimes in the past tense. You know what he used to tell me? Mama, why am I like this? A million times, Mama, why am I like this? I would tell him, Mama, there's nothing wrong with you. You're the greatest thing on this earth. I would tell him this a million times over. I would cook. When I would cook, he used to come and tell me, Mama, your food is like this. And then he would kiss my shoulders and kiss my head and say thank you. He's an angel. But his mental age was different. He was four years old. That was their estimate. We went everywhere. Professors. Why? Because I want him to get better. He wanted to go out, to work, to feel like he was a man for people to respect him. Unfortunately, people could be cruel. You know what I mean, right? People were hurtful. He would come and tell me, Mama, this person looked at me like this. That person pushed me. This person said that. He would describe to me in minute detail about every person, near or far. I wouldn't relay everything I heard. But I would tell his sisters. Before he became a martyr, I sat down his sisters once or twice, maybe, maybe three times, and told them if, if anything happens to me, you have to do this and this and that for Iyad. I gave them guidelines. I explained what to do. After he was killed, what did his sister tell me? She said, Mama, you were so scared for him. But look, now he's left this world before all of us. You were so worried about him. And then he gave you peace of mind. He gave you peace of mind. I was always trying to take care of every little thing for him. I would tell his sisters, this is what you have to do for him. This and that. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. We didn't want to relive the trauma of that day, but Im Iyad kept drifting back to Iyad's murder, recounting the very few details that she had. The day he left, he was wearing normal clothes, even though there were new ones right here. Iyad woke up early that morning, as was his habit. At 6 a.m., he left his home in Wadi Joz to his school in the old city, walking through the Lion's Gate. It was a route he knew well, as he had been at Elwyn for six years. That morning, he wore a mask and gloves, as is required these days due to the coronavirus. That morning, an Israeli border patrol soldier at a checkpoint asked Iyad to stop 
Iyad, being autistic, didn't make eye contact or engage with the soldier. Iyad's mother had previously explained to him how to interact with Israeli border patrol soldiers by giving them his ID and such, and even made sure to have him wear his disabled ID on his neck so that it would be clearly visible to officers. That morning, the soldier ignored all clear signs and shot Iyad in the foot. Iyad, obviously terrified, ran away and huddled behind a garbage container in an attempt to hide from the soldier. Iyad's caregiver, a woman named Wardi Abu Hadid, was nearby, and after hearing the commotion from the chase, she ran out to save Iyad. She yelled, He's disabled! He's disabled! He's disabled! She yelled in Hebrew. Instead, the soldier, who was now joined by other soldiers, kept screaming, terrorist, 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 also in Hebrew. This exchange went on for several minutes, as Ms. Abu Hadid kept explaining that he's with me, he's with me, he's with me. Eventually, the soldiers shot Iyad in the back, and the last words that he uttered were, Right, Miss Werdi, I'm with you. Right, I'm with you. And he looked up at her. He was saying, I'm with her, I'm with her. But Werdi told me, the last words he said, I'm with you, right? I'm with you, right? The last words, as he was curled up like a baby from all the bullets. I'm with you, Werde, right? And then he died, and the blood began to seep. The pain of the Hadlak family doesn't end there, sadly. In an attempt to prove that somehow Iyad had done something wrong, immediately about 50 Israeli soldiers invaded the Hadlak family in Wadi Joz, kicking the family out and searching amongst his belongings for anything to indicate that he was somehow involved in illegal activity. Eventually, after an hour, the Israeli guards come out producing a badge that uh, Iyad had carried with him when he had performed Umrah with his mother. And they asked his mother, what is this badge? What does this say? It was written in Arabic, and it had the flag of Saudi Arabia. And she said, it's a badge from when we went to Umrah. Why? What's happening? It was then that Rana Imiyad understood that her son had been killed. They searched through all of his stuff, all of our stuff. They pushed us around, me, his older sister, his younger sister. They broke us. You saw that little stairway? There's a door, right? They put us outside and closed the door. They didn't let us in. They went inside alone and turned everything upside down for about an hour. Even papers. You know how when you go Umrah, pilgrimage, they give you a Umrah ID? I don't know how they found it. I don't know. If you come and ask me to find that paper, I wouldn't be able to. I swear. They wanted to take it. A little while ago, I had taken Iyad on this pilgrimage. I don't know how they found it. Even his personal papers, receipts, prescriptions. How they found all these papers, I still don't know. 
Several days after Iyad's murder, the Israeli soldiers returned Iyad's phone to him. And his mother tells me that when the phone was returned, they had completely deleted everything from his phone. They had removed his pictures, the messages that he had received during the period of lockdown, all of his videos, any, any trace that Iyad ever had of his life, all gone, all erased. And she asks me, why? Why? Why did they need to do this? Why did they need to erase his phone? Don't I even get to have one memory of him? They wiped his phone. The police wiped it. They gave it back completely erased. A white screen. He had photos, text exchanges, threads with his teachers about corona. He had videos. They sent us back the phone with everything erased. He had only had the phone for eight days. I bought it for him right before Eid, on the 28th day of Ramadan, at night. Before that, he had a phone, but he would tell me, my phone isn't good. His phone wasn't bad, but I wanted to replace that feeling he had about it. I told him I'm going to buy you one. We took very good care of him. We cared for him very deeply. There isn't a kid who was cared for like him. We meet Iyad's younger sister, a woman named Diana who's a school teacher and a mother of four school-aged children. Iyad has another younger sister who's a special education teacher who was too distraught to speak to us or to anyone else. She blames herself for Iyad's killing, saying that if only she had woken up early that morning to take him to school, as she usually had, that he would have returned later that afternoon. Throughout the time that I spent with Iyad, she kept showing me pictures and videos about who he was and what he loved to do. She showed me pictures of him enjoying cooking, of him enjoying gardening, of him enjoying walking around. She told me about his love for cooking and how he had wanted to become a cook, a chef. And she tells me that what she misses most about him is hearing his footsteps walk through the house. Unfortunately, Iyad was a victim of Israel's long-standing shoot-to-kill policy in which any Palestinian can be killed on the spot without reason. We've seen that over the years, over 150 Palestinians have been killed since October of 2015 under this policy in the West Bank alone and hundreds in the Gaza Strip as well. This shoot-to-kill policy has been condemned universally, whether by the United Nations through the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, by Human Rights Watch, and by numerous Palestinian human rights organizations. And yet, we see that the Israeli Supreme Court continues to uphold this shoot-to-kill policy particularly as it pertains to the Gaza Strip. This policy leaves people like Iyad, people who do not know or want to make contact with an Israeli soldier, who happen to be driving and make a mistake with their car, or people who have listening disabilities. Under this policy, it does not matter if the person is on the autism spectrum, if the person cannot hear the orders that are being shouted 
at her or him, or if the person makes a sudden move and looks down, doesn't make eye contact with the soldier. In all of those instances, we've seen that the Israeli army shoots and kills. When I ask Im Iyad what she thinks of Israel's apology, she says to me, is the apology going to bring back my son? Is their apology going to prevent other mothers from crying? And answers her own question and says, I don't think so. Thank you for listening to This is Palestine, a podcast brought to you by the Institute for Middle East Understanding. The IMEU is a nonprofit focused on giving you access to untold stories, facts, and expert sources on all things Palestine. For more information, please visit our website at www.imeu.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the IMEU. Please don't forget to subscribe. I'm Deanna Butu. Thanks for listening.